0: Welcome to Stories from the Field, the superintendent podcast, where we always look at education through the lens of equity and where we tell the stories of some of the most amazing district leaders in our country. Sarah, I know you just had a really interesting trip and you got some great stories to tell. So tell me what happened.
1: So I just went to a school district in Victoria, Texas, and there were, uh, there's a whole lot of conversation about equity. There's always conversation about equity, but in the lens of Victoria, we were thinking about equity. That was their push. And there was a whole lot more that came out of that because of a disaster that struck the district right before school started.
0: How, how does it, I mean, disasters don't really, they either happen or they don't, they can be pretty random. How, how did this disaster tie into their work around equitable access to an education
1: Well, it's actually everything. Part one. The disaster.
0: So Sarah, tell me about Texas.
1: So the story actually starts in a middle school, right before school is about to start, this is in July, it's a little chaotic, but. Actually, you know what? Let me have the maintenance and custodial crew take it from there.
2: July 21st, 2021 was when we had a meeting here for the Victoria Independent School District bond uh, planning meeting. And I walked the building with a couple of colleagues. And we went upstairs and noticed the wet tiles that were colorful as well. Uh, Before then, Morgan Roth, Jonathan Morgan Roth here, and his crew had walked it and realized that something was happening here. Uh, So when we first started working on to reopen this campus uh, for for the new year, noticed a lot of sweating going on in the on the walls. It was actually caused by a bunch of things. It was caused by excess humidity from a number of sources and also our Control systems were out of whack, and it was overcooling. Brought the dew point down to a point where anything that was humidity was going to turn into water, turn into condensation.
3: I was at home on a Saturday morning, and I received a phone call that there was a bunch of people on, on my campus, which was the, the Liberty Campus.
1: That's Tedrick Valentine. He was the principal of the Liberty Academy School that was down the road from Stroman Campus Middle School, the one that was affected by the mold. We sat down with him and Dr. Stanton Lawrence, assistant superintendent of operations for Victoria ISD.
3: And so I go up there and there's all of these, uh, all of the central administration people there, Dr. Lawrence, Tammy Sestock, Jake Salcinus, and all of these people. And I'm wondering like, you know, what's going on? Got
4: the custodial staff together and we brought them the necessary means to clean the mold, uh, Clorox wipes, disinfectant sprays. Wiped down furniture, walls, everything to that
1: bolt. So with, the first step was to try to see if you could clean it up. Just now. without major.
0: Was cleaning it up enough?
5: <laughs> Not necessarily. There was a moment of panic.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> like, uh, but then it's then it's a quick, it's a quick pivot. What are the options?
1: That's Quentin Shepard, superintendent for the Victoria School District, and longtime IEI member.
5: What are the what are the, um, the things right in front of us right now? It, here, I'm going to back way up first because there's a leadership thing in here, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we want to believe that quality of our life... I'm going to draw an XY axis in the air yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to do it backwards for the viewers. <laughs> uh, so we want to believe quality of life over time gets better over time, right? We want to believe that our life trajectory does something like this. But the reality is anybody who's actually lived a life knows that it's not a straight line, uh-huh. right? It's a series of like, it's a, it's a sine wave, up and down and up and down and up and down. And pretty early on, I, I realized that I think the key to a successful life, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's worked so far for me anyway, is to control the duration and depth of the trough. Because like, if I can make it shorter and less deep, then I'm going to get on the upswing a little bit quicker and overall my arc is going to be higher than the average person. And so then the question becomes, what do you do? What do you do during the trough that you can turn around quicker? And if you think about your lowest point in your life, think of the, not to be a downer, but think of person, I'm not gonna ask you to share, this isn't gonna be a therapy thing. Um, <laughs> I but was kind of th- looking
1: forward to the therapy thing. <laughs> you, have, you have
5: lots, uh, okay. let's, let's, let's take the rest of the day and yeah, work through this. and just sit through um, this. Think, of your, think of one or two of the lowest points in your life. And really, it, it breaks down to these two questions. What should I do next? And what tools and resources do I have that I can start working with? Mm-hmm. now you can answer the question about tools and resources to some degree but even that is hard to answer because your reptile brain your survival brain is in full full engagement mode at this point point. and so your your prefrontal co- cortex is completely shut down you have nothing that resembles executive functioning skills so you can't make good decisions so that whole the first question what should i do what's the right thing to do you can't answer that You think you can answer it, you could lie to yourself and say you can answer it, but you can't answer that. And if you do think you can answer it, you're bullshitting yourself, right? So here's the secret. When things are going kind of okay, when you're at the high points, that's when you're cultivating relationships with people built on compassion and suffering, and trying to help other people through their struggles, and share with them, and building these really, really, really deep connections. Because then when you hit your own personal trough, you reach back out to those people and you say, I know I need to do the right thing. I don't know what to do. Every single time without incident, you find four or five people who would be like, mm, this is what I would do. And I know it's hard to hear, but this is what I think you should do. Every single time they will come up with the right answer. And so when this is a long way of getting back to Stroman, when the mold hit, my first response is, well, what should we do? I don't, I don't know the answer, what should we do? Let's start going out and asking people, what do we think we should do? Let's ask people who've been suffering with us all along, people who helped us close buildings, people who helped us merge campuses, people who helped us zone the, rezone the schoolers, people who served on the finance, people who've helped us struggle with the district so far, let's go to them and ask them what we custodians. think we should do. Yeah, custodians, yeah, why not? And they were like, well, what if we move the kids? That wasn't my idea. I, don't, I actually don't know whose idea. I, don't, I, would, I would bet you a month's salary you couldn't nail down who came up with that idea.
3: It was just organically the idea and so then they kind of started to the story about there's a bunch of mold going on at strowman and so there's a possibility possibility that they could be moving to to my campus and we would have to share that campus being that we're such a smaller campus and of course you can you know i i don't know what i look like but man i was not happy because i mean that was what maybe the week or so before we were about to start school showing up in the cafeteria at the Liberty Building.
1: That's Jake Salsinas. Jake is the Executive Director of Secondary Student Learning and Talent Development.
5: And just saying, okay, we got clipboards, let's walk around, let's get room numbers down, figure out what needs to go where, because this has to start today. We can walk it all we want, but but the reality is, is we gotta know where this stuff's gonna go and get things set up.
4: So the decision was ultimately made that we would move the students from the, the um, credit recovery program as well as the D-A-E-P students here to the current camp, the former Strowman.
2: So how did you do it? How did you get everyone to where they needed to be? As a team, we pulled together and everyone, you know, air conditioning, custodial, painters. You've ever gone up and kicked an ant bed and watched what happens afterwards? That's about what it looked like. In a nutshell, <laughs> yeah. A lot of hustling.
0: <laughs> so let me get this straight. A week before school starts, they find mold on one campus and they got to move that entire campus into another building and they have to share that building together, two schools, one
5: roof.
1: So it's, it's actually a lot crazier than that. And if you know, since your wife is an educator, how important it is for teachers to get to school early, set up their classroom. They usually think of a theme. They spend countless hours beyond the clock. It's not even work days. It's just time and energy and love that they pour into building a space that's comforting for their class. So all these teachers are there ready for school to start and they find mold so now what are we going to do with all of these general ed middle school students who need a campus to start school in less than a month so from there they decide that liberty also known as victoria success academy it changes name so it gets a little confusing but there's another building down the road liberty this building houses credit recovery students and the DAEP program, which is the Disciplinary Alternative Education Program. Unfortunately, these kids are often seen as second class. So these kids are in a building, the general kids are in a building, there's not room for all of them to merge onto one building. So they need to shift people around.
6: I think the fact that everyone managed to all the different moves that's
1: christy adcock i'm not even gonna call her a teacher i'm gonna call her a mom a coach a counselor a friend a lifesaver she is one of the credit recovery teachers on the front lines of victoria isd
6: the very first year i got here was when i set up my classroom and then um, I'd taken down my old classroom, set up my new classroom um, when I first moved here, and then I think within a couple days we're like, "Oh no, we're not teaching here this year, um, for now." And setting up a classroom is like a big deal. Yeah, oh, is
5: yeah.
2: it? Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's a well because I
6: packed up my old one that yeah. I had. Yeah. Um, You're making it a beautiful, loving, yeah. supportive
1: space where kids feel. So it's all. So to set that up mm-hmm. and then have to take it all down. Yeah. Wow.
5: Everybody from technology to maintenance to teachers to the staff members, the admin, I mean, it was a very intense week and a half, and but it got done.
4: Our thinking was that we wanted to accommodate both Tedrick's students and the students who were going to be from the former Stroman campus to be there at the Liberty campus together.
7: A lot of people
5: um, don't realize with this whole transition is there was a middle school that was uprooted.
6: And then, of course, there was the well, we're not sure exactly where you're going to go. And then um, I was I lucked out. I ended up in a cafeteria teaching um, for the first what four months. I guess. How lucky. <laughs> yeah. But then we had all the other issues because it's an open area. And we had um, I had two other teachers with me. So it was this big area and there was about Hard to keep kids 60, engaged. Yeah. yeah, it was about 60 to 70 kids easy.
4: What we found out is given the nature of the students we're serving, when you start talking about district alternative education program students, there's, there's probably a need for those students to be in a situation where they have some space and where they're not crowded in with hundreds of other students in the same space. That's probably not the best setting for educating Uh, students with those particular needs.
1: Tedrick gave me a tour of his old campus at Liberty and explained how crowded and cramped the space was when they first initially tried to fit everyone there. And to my surprise, I was expecting the Liberty campus to be this glorious place that everyone wanted to go to since everyone was so upset that they had to move from there. But um, very much outdated, uh, broken windows, the. The building itself almost looked condemned, um, and it's been on the ballot as you know another bond they want passed to upgrade these facilities. And if this is the desirable location, and it looks this way, I was I was quite surprised.
3: This, this was like another room, and it just had tables, and we were just that was our classrooms.
7: Wow.
4: after a while it became pretty apparent that that was not a good fit that we needed to kind of rethink perhaps relocating uh mr valentine's uh programs here once the first
3: initial relocation was that our campus the credit recovery campus kind of went into like Ms. adcock was saying into the uh, cafeteria and to a a conference center so we had there was like three teachers in the conference center room and then on the other side there was like three teachers in the cafeteria
1: was there any uh students or parents complaining about that like oh yeah for sure yeah i don't want to go to the moldy campus
3: yeah oh yeah
5: unquestionably yeah we heard that and we sat with them every we sat we sat knee to knee with every parent who wanted to talk about it and we were very honest with our reality. We we don't necessarily want this for kids either. It's 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 a situation that like we're going to monitor and we're going to ensure that they're safe.
3: Um, but. This is not an ideal situation by any stretch of the imagination. And then now the DAP, which is the District Alternative uh, Education Program, was out at the annex uh, building. And so those kids were in, it was two classrooms. And then Dr. Lawrence so graciously got us two portable buildings to house those kids because the DAP kids cannot, you know, state law says that they cannot be on or in the same building as the, the credit recovery or gen ed students.
1: So what was the controversy with when you got the outside buildings functioning again, moving kids back there, the kids that were chosen to be moved back there?
5: Yeah, well, that then becomes the we're back into the equity conversation that this this central building is infested with mold, but we have these usable side buildings. And and w- what could safely go into those side buildings? in a way that's not, and it's not an afterthought. Like we didn't want the kids to feel like they'd been relegated to, you know, some moldy campus that isn't cared for. And so, you know, we, we looked at those buildings for um, some of our credit recovery students and said, there's a way that we can do this if we're really, really thoughtful, that kind of turns that building into its own unique space and, and say to our community, like we're embracing what you told us, because remember this community has now failed that bond several times to rebuild that campus. And so we're saying to our community, we're honoring this, we're suffering through this. And by suffering through it means like, it's not like we have a bunch of facilities that we can just you know, repurpose and a us notice. We're gonna have to go into a mold-infested campus that could house a program that might work. And this is what we can do. this is just what we can do with kids but we recognize that the sheer volume of credit recovery kids would overpower the ability of that campus to serve those kids
0: yeah so i can see how this is becoming an issue of equity around kids with um, different learning needs kids who've fallen behind kids with emotional needs
1: right and we we spoke with the board and dr shepherd they all have the same philosophy of educating all students, keeping kids safe, having a place where, whether it's credit recovery or general ed, they have a place that they can go and learn. But what surprised me was as we interviewed many students and, and talked at length with Dr. Shepherd, we found that COVID actually provided a little bit of an opportunity because it put everyone in fast gear and As people came back and there were credits that need to be recovered and there was a loss of learning, it became, you know, what are we gonna do to meet these needs of the kids, not only in terms of space, but to get them back on track where they're not falling behind. So one of the things I kind of moved me yesterday was the vulnerability of the high school students we spoke to that openly told us they went to a dark place during COVID. And yeah. that they were home, not a lot of support at home, so not really doing their classes, hence falling behind and then being at zero credits, but second year of high school, coming back to school and having to make that up. Um, what was the, I mean, we, we saw the, the Success Academy, but is, did that kind of build from that or was that before COVID?
5: Uh, we were beginning to build that um, prior to COVID, but COVID was like this great opportunity for us. Really, it put ass in the tank. Yeah. We're like, well, let's get serious about it now. Like this is this is the opportunity. This is everything we wanted and more to to be able to give kids a really good fresh start.
1: Doctor Shepard and the board learned how to take COVID and turn it into an opportunity just like they learned how to take this issue with the mold and turn it into an opportunity.
2: Things that were accomplished in this district during the pandemic are, are, are mind shattering.
1: That's Mike Mercer, president of the school board at Victoria ISD.
2: I mean, when most people were treading water, these guys... And I mean, these guys, this administration and this, this staff was pushing us forward. I mean, our pathways, the pathways that we have, our STEM academies, our, our uh, project based learning, the, all of this was forged through that pandemic.
1: Dr. Shepherd and the board had a history of success during COVID and found a way through the mold disaster with an equitable solution that was both simple yet life changing.
0: So aside from just moving kids around, what was the solution?
1: Right, I'll get to that. But first, let's hear from the board and Dr. Shepard on their views on how equity helped shape the solution of this problem.
0: The solution you are eventually going to get to?
1: Eventually, eventually.
5: If you could reflect on um, what equity means to this district.
2: <laughs> Another really good question, because there's a lot of variety to that. <laughs> and if there's one thing I think the last four years have taught me is that we we do view it differently. I think uh, for a lot of people, it tends to be a trigger word, Mm -hmm. you know? It's been bantered by one political subdivision, and so therefore it it must be bad. When in reality, what I try to convince people, what I try to get the community to see is it's not a bad thing. In fact, we want every student to succeed. We don't want anyone left behind in any way, shape, or form, but not everybody starts at the same place. Not everybody has the same resources going into it.
1: Have you had um, struggles recruiting and retaining teachers? Is there a shortage here? We do now. That's Randy Myers, the deputy superintendent and CFO of Victoria ISD. We
5: do now, since the pandemic. uh, Before the pandemic, we might have 10 applicants for every position. Well, now we have one applicant for 10 positions. And that is the nature of our area. It's the nature of this economy.
2: Uh, Texas has a booming economy, and there's a lot of other ways to make a lot of other money
3: mm-hmm. in, this, in this state.
7: I think the biggest challenges that face the district right now are that um, we, we live in a post-pandemic, most recently post-Uvalde world. That's
1: Tammy Keeling. Longtime school board member at Victoria ISD. And a teacher shortage
7: with teacher pay challenges, teacher support challenges, just because of the pressures of of COVID and now pressures of making sure that unfinished learning is caught up. Um, It was stressful on our children, their families, the businesses, our teachers. It was very stressful on everyone. Um, So, I think those are the biggest challenges when it comes to working together and, and transforming a district and, and making opportunities for, for children. And more and more important that you have a collaborative community effort for the things that you can change.
5: When I was a sophomore in high school, Uh, I grew up on a working farm, brothers, Uh, and I can remember sitting at the dinner table with my older brother and my younger brother, and dad's chair was empty, and that was very rare, and mom's chair was empty, and that never happened, and so it was just us boys sitting around having dinner together, and the topic of our conversation was, what are we going to do? We've got to figure out a way to save the family farm. The reason we we're having this conversation is because my father had been in a catastrophic car accident and uh, Broke his back broke his neck punctured his lungs and we were we were worried. we were gonna lose him And My mom was with him in the hospital We had a bunch of livestock grain and like it's a working farm and There was just no way we could make it work and so My brothers and I sort of made the decision that, because I was most comfortable around the farm, because I knew the animals well, I I actually at one point wanted to grow up to be a farmer, that I would, for all intents and purposes, drop out of school. And I would take care of the family farm because this was the one thing that kept us together as a family. And uh, it was an algebra teacher, McLaughlin was his name, who didn't give up on me. Now how easy would it have been, as a rural community, nobody, kids drop out of school all the time. How easy would it have been in that rural community for this 14-year-old child who had legitimate barriers and stopped coming to school for them to say, mm, "He just never come back, he's, he took care of the family farm. That was, his, that was his role. But this was a teacher who said, no, I'm not giving up on him. He's got potential, he's gonna graduate, he's a good kid. We're a tight family, and so you know he showed up to our house the first day he shows up to our house to tutor me. He gets into the back seat of his car, and you you think he had a you know a bag of books for us? No. He had food. Right. See, we were rural poor, and he knew it. So the teachers had taken up a collection, and they knew that we we hadn't had a chance to get groceries or anything for a few weeks, and so he had a car carload full of food that he brought into the house. And then he went out and he got the bag of books. Mm. He's like, let's get to work.
1: As we sat and talked with people, it was apparent to me that there was several misconceptions about equity within the community, not within the school district. But many, as you heard, many board members and people say that oftentimes people think that equity is taking something away and giving it to someone else. So my kid is without because this kid is getting extra. And Dr. Shepherd and his team's philosophy is absolutely not that way. It's everyone is going to be educated in the best safe way as possible. That's why I think designing our future together is really
7: important. Um, And I think a big shift because if you've listened to Quentin or heard Quentin speak, we do lots of sessions about we don't talk about engagement. We talk about
4: ownership.
5: What do you think about Quinton?
4: <laughs> <laughs> we we call him Q around here. Oh, really? uh, yeah, we call him Q. Uh, you you rarely hear him referred to as Dr. Shepherd, you hear Q quite a bit. But Q Q is a very unique leader in that one of the first things you figure out about him when you've not not known him very long and you've only had a few conversations is his desire for kids to reach their highest potential is something that is innate within him. It is something that's instilled so deeply within who he is and it's something that he in fact tries to make certain that we are all on the same page in that way that we understand, it's not about test scores. I mean, we understand the accountability system and what it, how it works and what it means, but the most important thing we can do for the students we serve is to place them on that pathway to success.
1: That's the stuff that people don't think through. Right. They say, I gave you this opportunity, but they don't think through the hardships that follow Yeah.
5: The, the difference between can't versus won't. We talk about this a lot, and it's kind of a harsh way to talk about it, but there's some kids who just won't. You had mentioned this just briefly earlier, and those are kids who are currently self-sabotaging maybe, and they need a different kind of support. They need a lot of emotional and social support because they'll find their path, but that's where we need to start with kids who won't kids who can't have legitimate barriers in their Mm -hmm. lives. And our job is to help them identify those barriers and either remove those barriers or in some instances, turn the barriers into springboards for what comes next. Because really any kind of constraining variable can become an enabling variable in the right context. And a barrier can actually turn into a a springboard in so many ways. You've mentioned my my definition of, of equity and it's about removing barriers and so on and so forth. But I think in even bigger and broader view of equity, is, is simply this. It's just, it's advocating for kids who don't have anybody in their life who can advocate for them.
4: I think what has drawn me to the population that Tedrick works with is uh, back throughout my career when I became an elementary principal in Dallas many years ago and a high school principal in Houston, I asked the superintendent of schools to allow me to work at a school in the most crime-ridden, drug-infested neighborhoods in those cities because those kids were kids who came from a background very similar to my own and so when i see tedrick's kids i see the kids i always worked with and one thing we know that we have an opportunity to do with kids who lack those those really great home circumstances is to create opportunities for them through what we do at school i guess it was january Mm-hmm. When when uh, the whole VC thing came
3: up where uh, I, Dr. Uh, Shepard and Dr. Kent kind of had some conversations. Uh,
0: I heard the word VC, venture capital?
1: <laughs> no, Victoria College. And you also probably heard the name Dr. Kent.
0: I see. All right. So Victoria College and Dr. Kent are all part of this solution that you're going to sometime tell me about.
1: Right, and I'm purposely kind of dragging this out because it's very important that you understand each step of the way and how major these pieces were and how large this decision was.
0: Okay, cool.
1: We've been focusing on the philosophies of Dr. Shepherd and the board, but I want to go back and relay a moment that was heard earlier. I want to highlight something that Dr. Shepherd said.
5: So here's the secret. When things are going kind of okay, when you're at the high points, That's when you're cultivating relationships with people built on compassion and suffering.
1: Remember when Dr. Shepard talked about creating relationships and connections when things are going well and how those connections can help you through the low points, when things were crappy, all of those, the importance of relationships. He's all talking about building relationships. That's the overarching theme here.
5: And trying to help other people through their struggles and share with them and building these really, really, really deep connections because then when you hit your own personal trough, you reach back out to those people and you say, I know I need to do the right thing. I don't know what to do.
1: The solution to this problem was a direct result of connections made by Dr. Shepherd in the past.
0: So Q reached out to somebody who had his
1: back. Even better, he had monthly breakfast with this person, so he didn't really have to reach out. The solution was offered to him and it was offered to him over a cup of coffee. And in our next episode, we'll talk about this person and the impact they had on Victoria ISD.
0: Well, they say a good podcast has a cliffhanger from episode to episode, looks like we're doing the same. So uh, I can't wait to tune back in and hear what happened. So join us for our next episode of Stories from the Field, The Superintendent Podcast.
1: Just a quick shout out to our producer, John Freeman, who joined us to lead the work during our podcast this season and is the voice you're hearing sometimes in the background asking questions. Thanks so much for being with us, Johnny. We appreciate all you've done for the podcast. We'd like to let you know that to create these stories, it takes a village. This episode was directed by John Freeman, videography and audio by Sho Matsuyama, Chase, Mezo, John Freeman, Sarah Kroll, and Doug Roberts. Edited by John Freeman, Chase, Mezo, and Sho Matsuyama. Stories from the Field podcast was produced for IEI with Century Tree Productions. Be sure to like and share these stories with anyone and everyone. Yes, they are that inspiring. IEI is committed to bringing educational leaders together to ensure that they have the influence, access, resources, and support they need to lift students' voices. We empower superintendents to amplify their voices, becoming thought leaders who shape the future of education.